0: Hey, thanks so much for listening to Sandals Church. Our vision as a church is to be real with ourselves, God, and others. We hope you enjoy this message. When you woke up today, I would imagine, like many of us, all kinds of thoughts and questions began to fill your mind as your day was starting. And I'm curious to know if at any point one of those thoughts was around this idea of belonging. More specifically, the question, who do I belong to? Now, I know that might not sound like it's at the top of your list as you're thinking about what you got to do today and the people you got to see and the people you don't want to see. But the truth is this, many people are beginning to see that regardless of what you have to go through in your day or today, if you know who it is that you belong to, you can get through anything. And so the question is, who do you belong to? Because all of us are working through something right now, and it's probably the case that you won't be able to get through it unless you know who it is that you belong to. Belonging is a powerful thing, but it's also a problematic thing for us to actually truly experience, especially here in America, where many Americans claim that they only have one to zero confidence in their life. Imagine that for a second. We're moving to a time in our country where nearly half of our population doesn't have a single person who they can celebrate with or cry with. Now, this is the case simultaneously when we are becoming the most digitally connected human race we've ever seen, where I think both of these things can be true. Case in point, I talked about waking up early. Um, I do this occasionally from time to time. It's 5.30 in the morning. I roll over to the side of my bed to hit the snooze button again. And I'm already greeted with a very bright light coming from the corner of the room. And what it is, it's my wife, Ashley, on our Peloton. She's taking a class. Uh, and it's in a dark room. It seems like she's all by herself early in the morning, but she's actually with a host of other people. She's on her bike. She's with her coworkers. She's with her friends. She's logged into a class with even strangers from around the world, listening to a fire playlist, and spending time with a really fun trainer who's going to make her laugh and sweat at the same time. This is just a snapshot of what it looks like to live in 2022, where we can be more digitally connected than we've ever imagined, and at the same time, more isolated than we're comfortable admitting. And here's why I think that is. This isn't all the reasons, but here's a few reasons. Number one, social distancing actually started happening to all of us before the pandemic ever did. Our screens allowed for us and gave us permission to no longer have to do the hard work of being a human being physically around other human beings. And it's said that many of us will probably spend 2,800 hours in front of a screen than we would in front of a person. In days, that's 117 days out of the year. Imagine that just for a second. A third of your year right now could be spent in front of a screen instead of a person. Now, whether you want to acknowledge that or not, it is doing something to the way that you understand who you belong to, who your community is, who your family is, who your group is, who helps you get through life. Now, the second factor, I think, is that in some of our digital communities, not all of them, but in some of them, we form bonds faster around the things that we disapprove of than what we actually approve of, which means a lot of us feel this gravitational pull and temptation to form bonds and allegiances with people who we have a shared vision of what we dislike in life rather than a shared vision of the kind of life that Jesus is calling us to live. You guys, this is a major, major problem, but at the same time, I want you to know that I am immensely hopeful for the church, immensely hopeful, and especially hopeful for our church, for Sandals Church, because it's time for us to dream again. It's time for us to ask God to give us fresh vision of the kind of community that he wants us to be going forward. Because this fall, you guys, we're gonna celebrate 25 years as a church, It's incredible. 25 years. That's 25 years of living out this vision of authenticity, of being real with ourselves, with God, and with others. I almost messed up the vision. (laughs) But it's time for us to imagine what does God want for the next 25 years? Who are the people that we need to become? Who are the people that we need to invest into if we want to see this move forward? because there's something powerfully unique about us any given weekend when we gather. And that is there are four different kinds of generations of people sitting side by side together. You have our boomers. We love you boomers. We have Gen X, we have millennials, and we have Gen Z all sitting side by side together. Now for some of you, you might not think that's a unique thing because in other parts of your daily life and society, they're also together. You can think of a sports stadium, a mall, a movie theater, right? Also locations where you might see different kinds of generations side by side. But the difference is between a sports stadium, a mall and a movie theater and a church is that we go to those other places to consume entertainment or the thrill of a sport or a product. But in church we come not to consume but to actually contribute of ourselves, to give ourselves away. And so ask yourself, are are you here at this church consuming or are you contributing? because the invitation from Jesus is that you would, man, that you would step into a life that is full as you really give yourself away, not just to him, but to his people. Imagine what can happen inside of you and through you. You guys, this is the power of us. This is the power of who we can become. And so I'm incredibly hopeful and relieved to know that in Jesus' family, there's an answer to our social dilemma. And to help us see this answer, we're going to spend some time over the next few weeks reading through Paul's personal letter to Timothy, First and Second Timothy. And so, with uh, this time, would you stand now with me as we read God's word together, and then I'll pray for us. Paul writes these words in First Timothy chapter one. We're going to read the first two verses. Paul says this: Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus. By the command of God, our Savior, and of Christ Jesus, our hope. To Timothy, my true son in the faith. Grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus, our Lord. This is God's word. Let's pray together. Spirit of God, would you speak? We open ourselves, God, in this moment of prayer, just to be aware of your presence, to be aware of your power. And I ask, God, that you would help us to attend to your loving voice. Would you give us ears to hear, eyes to see? And God, would you make us what you call us? In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You guys can be seated. A handful of months ago, uh, my family and I got hooked to both the movie and the music of Encanto. Like many of you, we spent time watching the movie over and over again and listening to the music over and over again. And I don't know about your family, but in my family, we definitely talked about Bruno <laughs> and who he was and what he meant. Now, now here's the thing. Um, one of the reasons why I think this movie resonated with all of us, beyond just children, is because within every single one of us, within our souls, I think there's an ache to belong to a family without the, the, the need to perform. And that's what Mirabelle experiences. She comes to discover that she just doesn't have a gift. She herself is the gift that she offers to people. And this actually, in my mind, is alluding to and pointing us back to an ancient truth that the scriptures have been speaking about long before Encanto came out. And that is you and I were designed for the family family. Of God, And as we consider what this power is that we have as his family, we first notice this, that in a culture of isolation, Jesus invites me to his community of family. You see, where we go wrong is when we limit church to only be a location, when we limit church to only be a product, when we limit church to only be an experience or an event. The church, most foundationally, is to be a family of people. That is who we are. Notice Paul's language to Timothy, my true son in the faith. For Paul, really, he's just embodying the vision of family with those that he's investing in, with those that he's discipling. And this is not a new idea for the Apostle Paul. This is something that he got from Jesus himself. Consider this encounter from Mark's Gospel, chapter three. Jesus is on the scene, he's teaching, he's eating with people, and then his family arrives. And notice what Mark writes. Then Jesus' mother and brothers arrived, standing outside. They sent someone in to call him. A crowd was sitting around him and they told him, your mother and brothers are outside looking for you. They're looking for Jesus. And notice his response. Who are my mother and my brothers, he asked. Then he looked at those seated in a circle around him and said, here are my mother and my brothers. Whoever does God's will is my brother and sister and mother. Notice for Jesus, his followers is in fact his community. It's his family. And notice what he refers to God the most. What's the title that he gives God? It's father. And what he often calls the people who are listening to Jesus, following Jesus, doing life with Jesus, are his brothers and sisters. Now, this isn't necessarily a revolutionary idea of family. This is something they would have fully understood. The controversial thing that Jesus is saying here is, who he defines as his brothers and his sisters. It's whoever does his will, whoever does his father's will. And so he's no longer just extending the bloodline as the marker for who's in and who's out, but anyone could be in the family. Anyone can join this family. And this is a common understanding, especially for this particular day, because in his day, when both Paul's writings and in the teachings of Jesus it was common for them to see the good of the community over the good of the individual. And the family structures were what we refer to as patrilineal families. You don't have to remember that word. It's a fancy word. It simply means that you were defined, I was defined by our fathers, which is why it's common when you read the New Testament, you don't see anyone with last names. It just says Joseph, son and such and such, or Matthew, son of so-and-so, right? That's just how they functioned and operated. You were primarily defined by your father. And this reminds me, uh, just the other night, I'm putting Eli to bed and I'm reading a Bible story to him. And at one point, he, he kind of cuts me off. He says, Dad, I'm confused on something. So I'm like, okay, what, what's, what's up, E? And he says, Dad, I, I don't understand who, who Jesus' actual father is. And I'm like, okay. Look at my watch. I kind of think in my head, like, do I have the time <laughs> <laughs> to spill the tea on Jesus' family drama at 8 p.m.? Of course, my answer being a pastor is, yes, I do. I have the time for this. So I dive into the uh, virgin birth because an eight-year-old completely gets that. <laughs> I dive into the Trinity. I, I help him pronounce it. I dive into his, his kind of father, Joseph. Right? I get the whole thing through only to find out the boy has fallen asleep. <laughs> he didn't even stay awake from my rich theological teaching <laughs> on who his father is. But he'll, he'll come to understand. But this is how things worked back then. And it's even the case that yet your closest relationship probably wasn't with your spouse because, again, they think in terms of family. And so when you're looking for a boo, you're not looking for romantic feelings. You're thinking about what makes sense for the family. Now, that feels kind of cold, dry, completely unsuccessful. That's just how it was. And so it's often the case that your closest relationship wasn't a romantic one with your spouse. It was a sibling love. Which is why it's no surprise that Jesus turns to his followers and he says, brothers and sisters. The strongest relationship you can possibly have in that time, Jesus says we can have with him. Not only that, this word in the Greek adelphoi is used over 300 times to define what the church actually is. It's a family. Brothers and sisters is found everywhere in the New Testament. And again, not a new idea. This is something that we discover all the way back in the pages of Genesis. The point of the universe, when you think about it, this all came into being by who? God, who is himself a family. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. As one theologian says it, God is a family who makes family. What a beautiful way to imagine the purpose of life, that you might belong to a family family. And when you come to undersee this life, understand this, undersee this, that's a brand new word. (laughs) Life completely changes for us. You know, last week we had probably one of the most historic days ever as a church. Thousands of people stood to declare that they believe in the risen Jesus. And what is so great about that event and that moment is not just it was stuck there, but to declare that you believe in Jesus is not just to receive his life, but it's also to receive his family. Those things go hand in hand. You cannot have one without the other. To be a follower of Jesus is simultaneously to be a family member with Jesus. It's a lot like this. Four years ago, my daughter Ella was born. And in the hospital, the moment she came out and came into this world, she was Ashley's daughter and my daughter and whether she wanted to or not she was a younger sister to her older brother Eli whether she wanted to or not she's in the family now this is how this works and when we begin to understand this what we see is that Jesus's family is intergenerational where we actually invest into one another you see there's a lot of talk today about churches could only survive if they're multi-generational and that's not necessarily the case To be multi-generational is just to have different generations of people hanging out. But an intergenerational church is a church in which we actually see that we have value to offer from one generation to the next generation. Again, you are not just someone who has a gift to offer. You yourself are the gift to invest and to open yourself into as you give yourself to the local church. This is a kind of a cross-pollination that happens in church life. Notice Paul's instructions to Timothy again. This is from chapter five. He says, do not rebuke an older man harshly, but exhort him as if he were your father. You see, what is happening in our culture today is we are losing the ability to maintain a hard conversation in which we say what is true and hold on to honor. It's very hard for us to do this. Paul is saying this is possible in this family. You can do both. He goes on, treat younger men as brothers, older women as mothers, and younger women as sisters with absolute purity. Notice for Paul, as he's writing to Timothy, he assumes that these generations will in fact interact with each other and they have something to invest and they have something to offer each other. And so let me just say something to the the older generations here who are watching and a part of our church. Let's not just label the younger generation into categories of things that we disapprove of, but let's call them for who they actually are, our brothers and our sisters. They are your cousins. They're your nephews and nieces in the faith, nothing else. And the same for the younger generation. Let's not just stop the conversation at saying what the older generation got wrong and what we hope to get right. Let's call them who they actually are. They're our spiritual mothers and fathers. They're our brothers and sisters, and we should treat them as such in the family. I think of uh, something that's going to actually happen this weekend at uh, our home church campus, Palm Avenue. There's an 11-year-old boy who is going to make the decision to get baptized. His name is Broen, and he got to share last week with his family that he wants to be baptized. And they, of course, they were excited to hear that he's going to take this next step in his journey with Jesus. But then he asked them this question, is it possible to have my sandals kids volunteer in the pool with me? They were blown away by that. And so they're like, of course, yeah, let's, let's call them right now. So they, they call them up, they FaceTime them. And of course, this young boy, as he's asking this volunteer, he's just making this grown man cry. He can't believe it. He gets, he gets to be in the pool in this moment with his hands on this young boy, dunking him into the waters of baptism, pulling him out, declaring that the old has passed and his new life in Jesus is starting because he is a brother to this 11-year-old. Yes, on the outside, I mean, he's an older dude, doesn't have it all figured out. He's not just a random volunteer once a week. He is a brother who is investing into the life of this 11-year-old. So much so that he wants him in the pool with him. You guys, this is a picture of who we can be as a church family. This is the power of us. Now, I understand, though, for some of us, this just feels like too much, because for a lot of us, a safer version and experience of church is one in which you and I just kind of come in occasionally, of course, when we have time to go, with the friends and the people that we like, to hear the songs that we hope play that we like, and to hear an inspirational talk with a few jokes. Now, that is okay, and and there's no judgment at all if that is how you view church. But, But consider for a second that the reason why you think church should be like that, and even me as a pastor can think church can be like that, is because we have been socialized by our surrounding culture to believe that's all that church should be and be open to the reality that Jesus is inviting us into a much grander picture of what it means to be in the church family. And I think another reason as to why we, we struggle to kind of take this step, and I think what keeps us from investing into others in a very meaningful way are a few things. The first is our own family of origin, our family of origin. When I spent time with Pastor Matt, as we were brainstorming this series, uh, one thing that he shared with me is he said, you know what, Fredo, in the 25 years that I've been leading Sandals Church, what I've discovered is what keeps us from actually giving ourselves away to the church family is the baggage we carry from our physical family. And he's absolutely right. Notice even Paul's language to Timothy on this topic, actually from his second letter. He says, I am reminded of your sincere faith, which first lived in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice. And I am persuaded now lives in you. Now here's where the kind of baggage is hidden. Notice no father is mentioned. And Timothy, if you didn't know, he's biracial. He's half Greek, he's half Jew, but he's asked to go to a Gentile church in the city of Ephesus and lead them as a biracial leader. How many of you can identify that with it? A lot of us. His own family of origin, from certain perspectives, might keep him from actually offering his best. But what a beautiful picture, though, and an affirmation. His grandmother, Lois, and his mother, Eunice, they, man, women today, they can pour into people. Even if you find yourself in a broken situation, you're a single parent, you have so much to give your children still. Look at the life of Timothy. And then look no further. But you see, I I would imagine at some level, man, what makes this so beautiful is that Timothy inside of Jesus's family, you guys, he has the opportunity to be for someone else what he himself never had. And that's a father to someone. You see, it's no accident that this whole letter starts by Paul saying to Timothy, my son. Timothy has no father. Paul became that father for him. Your family baggage, though it's real, doesn't need to keep you away from the church. But I know that still it's hard, Man, even the word family might make you just cringe right? because of your experience. And I think that's because for some of us, we had parents or parental figures who were just emotionally unavailable. And so right now in your relationships, both with people and the church, it's hard for you to trust anyone. That's what's happened to you. For others of us, it wasn't so much that they were unavailable. They were just unreliable. And so what that's done to you when it comes to your relationships, both with people and in the church, is it's made you feel like you can't trust yourself because you haven't had anything consistent in your life. And so you stay in this cycle of self-doubt so that when things go kind of wrong or things happen that shouldn't happen, you don't know how to trust yourself. You certainly know how to trust other people. And that's the case for some of us where our families of origin look like both of those things combined. You didn't have anyone who was reliable and you didn't have anyone who was available to you. And now you don't know what to do. And your family of origin, for whatever reason, definitely keeps you from from giving yourself to Jesus's family. Now for others of us, man, it it doesn't feel like a big leap. By God's grace, like your parents were, they were good enough. (laughs) Like they were available and reliable. And this isn't that bad. But what I would say to all of us is that two things, again, can be true at the same time. Where family can be a place of great hurt. But listen now, Jesus' family can be a place of great healing too. Both of those things can be true at the same exact time. And my offer to you is that you would be open to imagining how that might be true in your life. But the second thing I think holds us back, real simply, is just our age. There's a temptation to think that because of where I'm at in my season of life, I have very little to offer anyone else. Again, notice Paul's words to Timothy. Don't let anyone look down on you because you are young, but set an example for believers in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, and in purity. Even in the church, there is a temptation to devalue one another because of their age, because they don't know how to send the right emoji. (laughs) There's a lot of ways that we naturally do this, even inside of the church. And Paul's exhortation to this man, don't let that happen. And so I'm curious as to what we would look like as a church, that even as an older generation, I'm saying, oh, I'm in my 30s, so take it easy, 36. But what would it look like for us to actually take an attitude and posture of listening to the younger generation, listening to them, slowing down long enough to actually learn from them, how we might be better examples in our love, in our conduct, in our behavior, as people who follow Jesus. But you see, the third thing that I think holds us back is not just our family of origin, our age, it's it's the reality that we are not what we should be. It's our inadequacy. We don't feel like we're enough. We don't pray enough. I don't read the Bible enough. I sin way too much. I'm rarely here at church. I just don't have enough to actually give to anyone else. And what I actually kind of find laughable and puzzles me from this letter is what Paul says in 1 Timothy 3. He writes to Timothy, Although I hope to come to you soon, I am writing you these instructions, hence the letter, so that if I'm delayed, you will know how people ought to conduct themselves in God's household. Now, what I'm thinking is, Paul, why don't you just give him the letter before you send him to the church? Like, how are you going to send him? He, he started the process without having all the answers. Man, what a word for us today. You can begin wherever you are at. You don't have to know everything to invest. Timothy did not. And look, thousands of years later, we are still learning and reading a letter written to him. I wonder how many of us are Christians. Like, if we could trace back our Christian lineage, our family lineage, back to the church in Ephesus. How many of us do you think are actually able to be Christians because Timothy held on long enough and fought through his inadequacies to keep that church alive and allowed it to become what it needed to become so 2,000 years later, Sandals Church can declare on Easter, we believe in the risen Jesus. You guys, that is wild to think about. Our family lineage goes all the way back somehow to Ephesus. That is beautiful. And it came through a man with his own inadequacies. You got him too. I got him too. You don't need all the answers. Start where you're at. Start where you're at. In fact, I would even encourage some of you, you need to leverage your weaknesses. right? Avoid your strengths. Let's just talk about telling a powerful story of God's grace and mercy through your weaknesses. And I guarantee you, that'll give you credibility with people. They listen to individuals like that. And so if you're sitting there hearing me and you somehow are looking around this room and convincing yourself that you have nothing to offer anybody, that is a lie from hell. You have so much to give of yourself to Jesus's family. And as you do, what you begin to experience is that Jesus's family actually provides what my physical family may have lacked. It provides for me what my physical one lacked. What I find so beautiful about the end of Paul's life on his way to most likely a a condemned death, he writes these words in his second letter to Timothy, do your best to come to me quickly. For Demas, because he loved this world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. Out of all the people that Paul could have called on to come and visit him, he's writing to young Timothy. Paul is the most famous Christian at this time, For some reason, his buddy Demas, who fell in love with this world, has forsaken his calling and gone. And and I almost wonder, older generations, if in your current season of life, what you need is someone who is younger than you. What you need to comfort you, what you need in this moment of support is actually not someone from your own generation, but someone who's spunky and and got a little craziness to them. Maybe that's going to lift you up. Maybe that's going to give you what you need in the way that Paul is writing to Timothy. Would you come and see me? Would you come and visit me? Come now. More than that, there's this beautiful place in the Psalms, Psalm 113. And I never understood what the psalmist really was getting at until I began to piece together this idea of family. Notice to the words here. Who is like the Lord our God? The one who sits enthroned on high, who stoops down to look on the heavens and the earth. He raises the poor from the dust and lifts the needy from the ash heap. Notice now, he seats them with princes, with the princes of his people. He settles the childless woman in her home as a happy mother of children. Praise the Lord, the psalmist says. Now I would ask myself, how is a childless woman as a happy mother? She finds in God's family what she doesn't have in her own. Same with the poor, the poor and the prince, the prince of his what? The prince of his people, God's people, the poor and the prince together in a community, in a family. So imagine just for a second that the the belonging you're looking for, the thing you need to get through this moment of life is actually found in the family of Jesus. It's found there. And I think real practically, this is how this kind of provision can happen for us. Real quickly now, the first thing is this, it happens through a shared life, a shared personal life. Man, some of you, don't don't imagine I'm asking you to do a lot more to your already full calendar. Just invite people in to what you're already doing. Personal things, things that you have fun doing. You work out, you go to the movies, you eat. Invite other people from another generation into that process. Like if we wanna reach the next generation, we don't need to go to a conference. We just need to start a relationship with someone from the next generation. Let's just do that as a church. Let's not overthink this problem, you guys. Find someone from the next generation, invite them into your personal life. For those of you maybe who are settled down, you're young marrieds, man, open your home. Like you don't need the perfect marriage. You you just need a real marriage. That's all you need. And share that with somebody. Teach them how to cook. Teach them how to clean the house. I don't know. Share your personal life. Let them observe and learn from you. The second thing I think we can do is that this provision happens through a shared professional life. Man, I would encourage some of you guys, wherever you're at, whatever Sandals Church you attend, find your campus pastor and ask them, Who at this church is a little ahead of me professionally? Because here's my career. Here's what I want to do. Can you help me find someone who I can learn from, who's just a few steps ahead of me? Because I want to learn, how do I follow Jesus as an engineer? I want to learn, as a follower of Jesus, how do I do this in the business world, right? I'm an entrepreneur, so I got like no jobs, but all the jobs, right? (laughs) How do I follow Jesus in that way? Find someone a few years ahead of you. That's all you got to do. Man, I I would be blown away as uh, when I was teaching high school, especially my first year. I hadn't been with high schoolers in a long time. And I had juniors that first year. And what always used to make me laugh was juniors giving other juniors dating advice. (laughs) Like, bro, you are doing this wrong. Like, what am I going to learn from you? Like, this is not, find someone who's not your age to figure this out together. Can you imagine a whole bunch of seventh graders running around teaching each other how to kiss? Like, (laughs) That's a weird image. Sorry, we'll skip that. I don't know where that came from. But here's the thing. Find someone not in your generation. Get wisdom from them. (laughs) Let's move on to the last one. This this also happens through a shared spiritual life. Man, one of the most powerful places for you to learn how to follow Jesus, whether you want to get better at prayer, um, obedience, right? Because a lot of us agree with Jesus, but we don't obey Jesus, (laughs) And when you get into community group, what you come to find out is that you've misunderstood agreeing with Jesus and actually obeying Jesus. So let community group help you work out those issues. Right? You can learn to pray better, learn to organize your life a little bit, learn to raise your kids in the way of Jesus. All these things we pick up by observation as we spend time with people as you spend time with youth, as you spend time with kids, there is so much to offer. You think you have nothing, you have a lot. You have a lot to offer. And especially for our younger generation, here's the thing that you gotta understand. The young kids got time, the older ones got wisdom. God knows we need both. So we gotta be together, figure this out. And especially to our younger generation, listen, um, like I don't know if in 10 years, you're gonna be glad that you said yes to every like hangout event. Like in 10 years, will you be pleased that you went through the entire like Netflix category? Probably not. But what you will be happy about is that you said yes to investing. You said yes to people. You said yes to learning from. Now, again, I'm not trying to judge you and say like in 10 years, you're gonna have sin in your life. You may not, but in 10 years, you'll probably be stuck in life. You may not have sin, but you'll be stuck. And so make a decision now to commit to less and to commit to things that actually matter. Now, as we think about what this is, especially over the next several weeks, about how how we do this, how as a church family we experience belonging, it begins here for all of us. And that is we need to allow the love of God to re-parent us into Jesus's family. Allow his love, the fatherly love of God to re-parent you. I'm discovering in my own life that that I can, in theory and on paper, describe the love of God to you, teach you places in scripture where it's seen. But on a personal level, level, I'm still learning in my day-to-day walk with God what it looks like to allow God the Father to parent me. I want God the guide. I'll take God the the all-wise old man on the couch, just tell me what to do. I'll take God the genie. It just makes things happen. But I, I don't know if I'm always ready to just walk in to the house, into the family and receive God, the father, the, the father who loves me. You guys, the father who loves to be a father to you. Not someone who felt forced into it because I had a bad night at a club one time, but a father who loves you. Listen to John's words from the beginning of his gospel. He was in the world, he referring to Jesus. And though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. In other words, we were blind to Jesus. We'll choose everything he made, but not him, the maker. John continues, yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God children born not of natural descent nor of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. The father loves to give you life as his children. He loves to, not as a boss, not as a a transactional divine being in the universe. He's a father whose arms are open today. They're open today. And I think for some of us, man, one of the best ways that you can practically experience this, especially on baptism weekend, is to be baptized. And to once again, remind yourself that you now belong to God. You belong to Jesus. And you have a father in heaven who loves you. It is no accident that when Jesus was asked how we should pray, he begins with our father our father, not my personal Jesus and father, on my individual journey with God, our father, a family, a family whose father is available, reliable, secure, safe, and who went to the greatest length to make you his own child. That is what we need. That is where we belong. And so today, some of you take that step, be baptized. And I think for the rest of us, man, think about ways in which you need to allow the father to reparent you. The journey of Jesus is really the journey of learning what it means like to be a real child of God, to be in his family. And if Jesus has the courage, despite the controversy to say, these are my brothers and sisters, then today I would encourage you Sandals Church to go outside, watch people get baptized and say with Jesus, these are my brothers and my sisters. And I love them. I love them. I will slow down my life for them. So let's just pray that into us now. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you love us. God, you love us and you are our father. And so would you lead us, God, to experience the reality that we belong to you as brothers and sisters, and give to us the power of family so that we might not just get through our own lives, but we might receive the life that Jesus offers us. We pray these things in his name. Amen.